We know that you want to build your family on the right foundation from the very start, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Concordia Publishing House offers more than 8,000 products for churches, schools, and homes, dedicated customer service, and an experienced staff to help you focus on what matters most. Click to connect at cph.org. Concordia Publishing House, listening, responding, providing for God's people. Concordia Publishing House, cph.org. The hymn, From Depths of Woe I Cry to Thee. We are approaching a big day in the church here. It doesn't this uh, this day fall upon a Sunday, but on a Wednesday. It is the opening of the season of Lent. It is associated strongly with Lent and with ashes. It's called Ash Wednesday. We'll be looking forward to Ash Wednesday on this Tuesday morning with Pastor David Peterson here in the first hour of Issues Etc. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. After our first hour's conversation, looking forward to Ash Wednesday with Pastor David Peterson. We will be talking with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. An evangelical cliche is on the table. The church must transform culture. We'll respond to that one. There in the second hour of the program. Then we will get a roundup of the Iowa caucuses and their results. Mark Hemingway, senior writer for the Weekly Standard, and Molly Hemingway, senior editor for The Federalist, will be alongside together giving their ideas on what happened last night in Iowa. Now you can join us for the next two hours with questions or comments. Our call in number 1 877 623 MyIE, 877-623-6943. Send us an email right here in the studio. Talk back at issuesetc.org. Send us a tweet at issuesetc. Or our beloved on-demand listeners use the Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. Joining us to look forward to Ash Wednesday, Pastor David Peterson. He is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and departmental editor of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. David, welcome back to Issues Etc. Thank you, Todd. Let's start with the ashes because that's the the symbol uh, that really dominates Ash Wednesday and the Church's observation of it in some ways. What is the biblical meaning of this well, stuff? Well, I mean, the biblical meaning is certainly it's repentance or it's mourning, but I think we do well to consider some of the times when people put ashes on. The, the first one I'd ask us to consider is remembering Tamar, the daughter of David, who put ashes on her head after being deceived and violated by her own brother. So we are putting on ashes like Tamar, whether it's literally or figuratively, because we've been deceived and violated by our father, the devil. He's led us down terrible paths. He's promised us things he could never give. And after violating us, he's mocked us at what we had done, at our, even though it's, we have maybe really no part in it other than being violated passively. 
Uh, nonetheless, because these things have happened to us, we're not clean. And we'll never be again what we once were, so that we're thinking maybe we can never show our faces or look our mothers in the eye. So we mark ourselves with ashes to show our mourning, our shame, our death, like our sister uh, Tamar before us. The next one I'd have us consider is Mordecai. Mordecai and all of the Jews in the book of Esther put on ashes in, repent- in response rather, to the cruelty of the Persians. It's a protest. We have a cruel master. We've been treated unfairly. We've enslaved ourselves to sin, and we've given into our fallen passions to good desires that have been corrupted. And those things control us like animals, rutting in heat without shame and without knowledge. It really is essential to recognize that sin ruins good things, not bad things, but good things. And sin causes us to be dissatisfied with what God has given, so that St. Paul writes, covetousness is idolatry, right? So to be dissatisfied with what God has, to be discontent is a major problem. And we have the problem of comparing reality to sitcoms, to romance novels, to adventure stories, whatever, commercials, political and theological rhetoric even, and always our lives pale in comparison to those things. Our friendships are not as lively as those on television. I mean, the conversations aren't as clever, as witty. They don't move as fast. Our wives aren't as exciting as the characters in movies. And even our careers, in fact, are boring and sickly compared to the hype of human resources and recruiting, right? The the benefits are never quite exactly what they described. So we have all of these kinds of problems, but I think for us and for our listeners, not even our pastors are as profound, dedicated, or faithful as those on issues, etc., for example. So we're emotionally flat. We're looking for joy, excitement, entertainment, and refusing to believe that God may have called us to a dull existence on purpose that dole, in fact, is safe, and we should thank God for it, and we should learn to recognize and to see joy and good things all around us. I mean, and particularly for our listeners, if you have a Missouri Synod Church to attend, even if the practice in that church isn't quite what you wish it was or what it should be, and the pastor isn't as well-trained or as hardworking or whatever as you'd like, even if Holy Communion is only offered infrequently, if you have a Missouri Synod Congress a Missouri Synod congregation to worship in, you really should thank God because you are blessed to have it. Um, I like to tell people vainly that Redeemer in Fort Wayne is the Issues Etc. Church in Fort Wayne, but the reality is that's not true because there is no Issues Etc. Church. I mean, I can't stand against the onslaught of guests in their hour of glory speaking on their own, own expertise, even in one week, let alone week after week. So our pastors, like our wives, like our children, are always less than they should be. They're all jars of clay, and our congregations are full of sinners who act like it. So like Mordecai, we really we put on ashes as a sign that we have suffered unjustly uh, at the hands of sin, and also that mourning for our participation in it and our lack of contentment. So We put on ashes because we've rejected and despised the good that God has provided as not good enough. That that really is a problem, that we look at the gifts of God and say they're not exciting enough or they're too old hat. So repent. And the idea that you're too important to be bored ever or to waste some of your precious time or that you deserve better is a lie of the devil. 
And then finally, we can think of the more obvious sort of examples of putting on ashes. Job sat among the ashes because of his own sins. The king of Nineveh sat in ashes. Jeremiah says that we must cower in ashes. So it's not just the devil's faults. We're victims, to be sure, and we've been deceived, no doubt about it. But it is also our fault, our own fault, our almost grievous fault. And yet, the psalmist says, God lifts the needy from the ash heap, and he gives to those who mourn a garland instead of ashes. He forgives the sins of the penitent. He clothes Adam and Eve. He reestablishes David's throne. And ultimately, Ash Wednesday and all of Lent are about that, about being lifted up from the ash heap. That brings us to uh, the gospel reading for Ash Wednesday, uh, St. Matthew chapter 6. What do we find there? We find uh, verses uh, 16 to 21, so in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And when you fast, do not, be gloomy, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what do we, what do we uh, say about this by way of anticipation of Ash Wednesday? Well, I think that the, the kind of most significant part of this section is this moths, rust, and thieves and that by this the Lord teaches us that all material things are perishable and that we are perishable. So what moths will not eat, rust will not corrode, or thieves uh, will not steal, uh, is ultimately that's everything in this world. And if you put your trust and hope in those things, then you'll not merely be disappointed, but you'll damn yourself to hell, because where you put your trust and hope, that's your God, that's what you worship. So that's a serious threat and danger for us who, to, who live in a material world. I mean, I think it's a particular danger to those of us who live in the United States in a capitalist, pretty materialistic society. Our daydreams and our checkbook registers do show what we treasure. I mean, what you spend yourself fantasizing about. So if you spent a lot of time recently fantasizing about what you would do with $1.6 billion, I think it shows where your heart is, right? So there may be, in fact, no better measure for what you value than how you spend your money unless it's how you hoard your money. So this is a call to repentance, because everything on this mortal plane turns to ash, including us. We are also perishable. Our bodies are infected with sin, and the wages of sin is death. So our bodies are failing. We are dying, every one of us. And, of course, the refrain in Ash Wednesday is, Remember, O man, that you are dust, and to dust you will return. We brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. The um, let's talk about though the uh, you say there is an eternal thing in creation in physicality though so we're not simply talking about the perishability of our mortal bodies exactly right so we've got heaven and earth will pass away but the word of the Lord endures forever so we can turn and we are being called to turn from temporary things and to store up our treasures where moth and rust do not destroy right? Our hearts, even now, can be with Jesus. 
Now, this, of course, is more than simply wishful thinking or emotionalism, the way that some people, you know, sort of send their prayers out to people on Facebook. That sort of drives me crazy. Because our hearts are with Jesus is more than simply a metaphor or figurative language. Actually, what this means is that we need to put our hearts, the ones that are beating in our chests, where Jesus has promised to be. Not, not simply our affection and our thoughts, but I mean put our bodies and our treasures, our money, where Jesus is. So this is definitely a danger in the ceremony of the ashes, I think, because it is such a powerful ceremony. I mean, it's beautiful, it's profound, but it does threaten to overshadow the real things. And the real things are the things that God has instituted and given, not ceremonies, no matter how moving they might be. So I think that the ceremony of ashes does serve well to remind us of the physicality of our sins, that that in fact our sins lead to physical death, and also I think the ashes in the form of the cross marking us, reminding us of holy baptism, and reminding us of the need to be physically present at the service where God promises to be. That's how you get your heart in the right place, not by sort of just feeling nice things about Jesus. Okay, so go into that a little more deeply, because you said just a moment, we actually, we're called to to get our our physical hearts, the ones beating in our chest, where Jesus is. What are you talking about in particular? Well, I mean, we, we can certainly, let's back off it just for a second. I mean, it's true that our hearts are with Jesus when, when if we're, our hearts are with Jesus if we're reading the Bible and we're thinking about Jesus. But uh, our hearts are with Jesus when we give our attention to his word and when we discipline ourselves to follow that sort of thing. But but we ought to see this as being growing out of and leading back to and always centering on God's gathering of his people around word and sacrament, around the altar, uh, there in the public worship of the service. So this is really, we get our hearts are with Jesus when we're not daydreaming during the sermon and the readings and the family devotions, because we're not called to simply an ex opera operata reading of the Holy Scripture. That is, just reading Scripture without listening to it, without hearing it, without heeding it, is not in and of itself profitable. What is profitable is to hear the Word of God and believe it, right? To repent, to confess, to hope in Christ as it is proclaimed and revealed in Holy Scripture. So what we're called to throughout the week, but it's particularly on Sunday morning, is to a careful and deliberate hearing of the Word. We're called to study and to contemplate and pray with the Scriptures, because that's where God speaks to us. That's where He reveals Himself in the history of His people, in His prophets, in the Psalms, and, of course, now in these last days, in Himself, in the Son. So we have the Gospels and we have the Apostolic Scriptures on top of the Old Testament. And the Word of God, the Bible, does more than instruct. It does instruct, and it rebukes but it also most centrally delivers the Holy Spirit, it forgives sins, and it creates faith. Really, what hearing or listening to the Bible does is puts our hearts with Jesus. So God never commanded that we put ashes on our head, but he did command that we consider his name as frontlets for our eyes. In Deuteronomy 6, we read, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. 
you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So our hearts are with Jesus when his word is in our ears, on our minds, and on our tongues. The word of God is meant to be the topic of conversation at our family tables and living rooms, as well as with our friends and with our coworkers. This is actually what God's people are to be engaged in all of the time, theology, giving a witness for the hope that is in them, speaking the good news of Jesus Christ, who they are in Christ. And so our hearts are with Jesus in that way. And this is really where I think that the Lenten discipline needs to begin, with the Word of God. That the Church, of course, always, year-round, calls her children to daily Bible reading, to intentional daily prayer, and to contemplation of Christ and His grace. But everyone I know struggles to keep family and personal devotions going. I mean, they're just easy to give up. We get lazy very quickly. I mean, I'm no good at it. I don't have a great track record in my house. So I keep dropping it, and I have to keep on restarting it. And I'd be willing to bet that's true for you too, Todd. Absolutely. But so the point is not to say, well, it's hard and I failed, I can't do it. I mean, the point is like quitting smoking. You've got to keep on quitting, quitting. You've got to keep on restarting. And there's no better time than right now, go home tonight and have your family devotions. Don't skip it. And if you're listening to this before Ash Wednesday, don't wait till Ash Wednesday if you've slacked off, but start right now. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll remain here in Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 6. We'll talk about the sacraments and the divine service as that uh, that place where Jesus sets our hearts with Him. We're looking forward to Ash Wednesday on this Tuesday, February the 2nd. Pastor David Peterson is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and departmental editor of Godestine's The Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. There's still time to register for the San Antonio Biblical Worldview Conference, February 5th and 6th. The theme is Standing Firm in a Hostile World. This confessional Lutheran conference features Issues Etc. guests, Adam Francisco, David J. Weber, Joe Abrahamson, Attorney Mark Stern, and Professor Alan Quist. Don't wait. Register today for the San Antonio Biblical Worldview Conference, February 5th and 6th, faithlutheransa.org faithlutheransa.org. Do you have a student finishing up eighth grade at a Lutheran school? Do you wish there were a Lutheran high school close to where you live so your student could continue going to a Lutheran school? What if there was an opportunity for high school students in public or Lutheran school to take classes like Latin, logic, and hard-hitting theology courses? Well, there is. It's called Wittenberg Academy, the first completely online classical Lutheran high school. Visit our website, wittenbergacademy.org, to find out more. For sinners only, you're listening to Issues Etc. Are you looking for a quality Christian high school education in the Lutheran tradition? My name is Dr. Jay Krause, principal of Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, inviting you to our open house on Sunday, February 21st, from 1 to 3 in the afternoon, here at our Edwardsville campus. You can meet faculty and staff, administration, students and parents, and find out more about our dynamic ministry. For more information, contact us at 618-656-0043 or check out our new website at melhs.org. Many Lutheran pastors outside of the U.S. 
receive little or no seminary education. Luther Academy provides theological triage through conferences, books, and journals. Help support Luther Academy by making a tax-deductible donation at lutheracademy.com or call 260-452-2211. Serving Lutheran pastors to the ends of the earth. Luther Academy, 260-452-2211 or lutheracademy.com. Stanza two of the hymn from Depths of Woe, I Cry to Thee. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Ash Wednesday with Pastor David Peterson, pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, departmental editor of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. David, we're still in the gospel reading here and, and still on the subject of where Jesus puts our hearts with him, you say also in the divine service, in the sacrament. Right, that our hearts are with Jesus when we receive the Holy Communion. I mean, the Lord has taken up our flesh and joined himself to our dust. He suffers the ultimate decay. His body fails. He dies on the cross of exhaustion, of suffocation, if the medical people are right. I mean, he dies because he's killed there and his body can't continue living in that environment. He's picked at by moths. He dies among thieves. He's stabbed by a rusty spear. And that's precisely what he came to do. He came to die as a sacrifice. But the word of God does not return void, and our salvation is won by that. Death, of course, is defeated. Hell's lost its claim. It's finished. Water and blood pour forth to quench hell's fire and to stop decay. This is the medicine of immortality coming out of the sight of Christ into the chalice and then into us. So Jesus, of course, takes up his body again. It suffered corruption to the point of death, but then it doesn't decay. And now his body is imperishable, transformed into what humanity was meant to be before the fall, but maintaining, of course, the sanctifying marks of the, na- of the nails and spear. So we, of course, are still living in the corruptible part of, of our history, uh, where moth, rust, and thieves attack, and our bodies are failing and racing towards the graves. We're all dying, whether we realize it or not. So the risen Lord in imperishable body comes to us in perishable food. I just find this so astounding. It's so, it's so marked, profound, and pointed on Ash Wednesday that he gives us his imperishable body and blood, imperishable bread and wine, so that we who are perishing might partake of him and be saved. The, the corruptible, that is we, uh, put on the incorruptible in the sacrament because he has allowed himself to be corrupted and die, but now lives and is no longer corruptible and is moving us also into that incorruptibility, the resurrection on the last day. So in the Holy Communion, Jesus joins our hearts to his. 
And that's really the way we kind of want to phrase this as well, that it's don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust and destroy, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, it is, of course, Jesus that takes our hearts and puts them with him. And he does this through word and sacrament. He joins our hearts to his heart in the Holy Communion, and he teaches us to treasure what is good and what is imperishable. So there... Our hearts are with Jesus, and he is our treasure, even as we are his treasure, worth all that he had, so that he might come and dig up our bodies on the last day and make them like his glorious body, incorruptible. So this is really the next thing in the Latin discipline, the, the, the word of God kind of renewed emphasis upon personal and family devotions, and then next, get your butt in the pew, right? Go to church. It's Lent. On Sundays, of course, but also... Really, go to the extra services that your congregation provides. Take advantage of these opportunities to receive, to hear God's word, to receive Holy Communion, to prepare yourself by prayer and fasting and contemplation and grace to prepare yourself for Holy Week and ultimately for death and the passage to the place where God has already put your heart. Because remember, you are dust. Remember also that there's a resurrection coming. Everything on this mortal plane is going to turn to ash, including us, but it's not going to last. I mean, even the turning of ash turns to ash, uh, and the day comes when we'll be raised and follow him, not only through death, but also out of the grave and into life. So then our hearts will really be where they belong, and they'll never be moved from there. A a word about fasting. You have a a kind of a cautionary word about fasting, one of the Lenten disciplines. Well, fasting and what you give up for Lent doesn't need to be a secret is mainly, uh, mainly my point. Uh, that's not what Jesus means when he says, uh, don't let anybody see what you're doing. Because, of course, he also says, you know, don't pray out loud and don't let people hear those things. So the point here is not that the, the problem is, is if you think that by fasting or giving something up for Lent or whatever you're doing, that you can somehow earn God's favor or that you're going to impress other people and they're going to think, wow, he's a great Christian, then you've got a problem, right? What God is meaning is that we shouldn't do the, those things for those reasons and that we shouldn't judge one another on these things. That includes we shouldn't judge one another for talking about them. In fact, Christians can and should talk about how they're observing Lent with one another. They really should, (laughs) because this is actually helpful and encouraging to one another. It helps keep us on our goals. We were meant to share one another's burdens. I mean, much in the way, I don't uh, want to belittle or degrade Lenten disciplines and spiritual exercises, but I mean, if you're trying to diet, your friends can either help you with that or they can sabotage it. And it's not that much different. I mean, there is a certain sense in which we are meant to hold one another up and to help one another. So you should talk about this stuff with with one another and not be ashamed of it. And certainly not think you're somehow some superior Christian because you've given up chocolate, but you didn't tell anybody. Of course, just again, if you're bragging about it, you know, that's wrong. But Christians, the idea that Christians can't talk about their fasting or that Christians can't wear ashes or disfigure their faces and this sort of thing would have to mean also that they can't pray in public or use rote prayers because God says, go into your room, shut the door, and pray in secret. And that's not what he means. We can pray publicly. We can pray with uh, prayers that we've memorized by rote, such as the Our Father, which he gives in this section, and so forth, without keeping it a secret. So go ahead and talk about it is basically, and calm down about the whole thing, and just embrace and rejoice in these traditions as they're useful. Uh, It does highlight something, because uh, Christ knows us so well. 
and this admonition he gives us about these disciplines of fasting and prayer and and uh, and almsgiving as well too. Um, he knows this vicious cycle that we live in, where right. I'm, you know, I, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna boast about it. No, wait, I shouldn't do that. I'm gonna keep it secret, but I'm going to secretly think better of myself uh, before God because I'm keeping it a secret. He just doesn't. He 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 is determined to break that vicious cycle of self righteousness. I think that's exactly right. He wants to break the Pharisees, and he also wants to break the the hypocrites. I mean, it, so you, you know, antinomian is the wrong response, but so of course is legalism. The introit of the day is uh, let's see, a Psalm fifty-seven or somewhere in that neighborhood. Yes, uh, and then also one of these out of place antiphons from someplace else. Yeah, we get this great antiphon from the Apocrypha, from the Book of Wisdom, sometimes called the Wisdom of Solomon. And uh, I know you've done several things on the Apocrypha on the program that have been very helpful. Just a reminder that the Apocrypha are, are those Christian books written for the most part in the intertestamental period, so after Malachi but before John the Baptist, that do not have the same weight amongst us as Holy Scripture because they haven't been accepted at all times by all Christians with that kind of authority, but uh, have always been accepted by Lutherans as uh, very important books, as having great wisdom from our forefathers, from our Christian forefathers who lived before the time of Christ. And the, the Book of Wisdom is particularly rich and, and, and good. Here's the verses that our antiphon come from. But thou hast mercy upon all, because thou canst do all things, and overlookest the sins of men for the sake of repentance. For thou lovest all things that are, and hatest none of the things which thou hast made, for thou didst not appoint or make anything, hating it. And the way it comes to us is just, thou hast mercy upon all, and hatest none of the things which thou hast made, and overlookest the sins of men for the sake of repentance. Thou sparest all, because they are thine, O Lord. So... It's a marvelous passage, and it's a marvelous kind of liturgical uh, verse here to start Lent. In, in kind of an ideal liturgy, it doesn't always work out this so beautifully, but in an ideal liturgy, the antiphon really sets the tone and the theme of the day. And in fact, in Lent, the Sundays in Lent will take their names from the antiphon, and they can kind of clue us into what's going on that day. This antiphon really works well for setting the tone of Ash Wednesday and also the whole tone of Lent, what the point of Lent is. Thou hast mercy on all, hatest none of the things which thou hast made, overlook the sins of men for the sake of repentance. So we do not enter into Lent as though we don't know, as though we're unsure of what God will do. Well, we're really bad and we feel sad, but what's God going to do? We don't know. Maybe he'll destroy us. No, he won't. Of course he won't. He overlooks the sins of men for the sake of repentance, that is, for the sake of Christ, because he loves us, and he's always loved us. There's never been a time when God did not love humanity, when God did not love you. Before the foundation of the world, before you were conceived in your mother's womb, he loved you. After the fall, before Adam's repentance, before, while he's still blaming them, while he's hiding and trying to cover up his own sins, God seeks him in love. God doesn't seek Adam to kill him. He didn't need to seek him to do that. He seeks him to talk to him to bring him back in. That's why he goes to him. The war has always been between heaven and hell, between St. Michael as his angels and Satan and his angels, never between God and men. We are not the enemies of God, even in our sin. However, of course, God won't force himself on us. So God does overlook the sins of men for the sake of repentance, and he hates nothing that he has made. He spares all in Christ for his own sake. 
And then we get, so we start with that beautiful antiphon, and then we get verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 57, which again are just, just gospel verses. Be, be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge, until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. God shall send forth his mercy and truth. And we're going to hear those verses from Psalm 57, two of them, again, uh, as the gradual. So we're going to hear the same uh, mercy theme repeated between the Old Testament and the Epistle. When we come back, we'll talk about the Collect for Ash Wednesday as we look forward to Ash Wednesday, along with the Old Testament reading, really a powerful Old Testament reading that is uncanny in the way that it fits with the Christian celebration of Ash Wednesday. Pastor David Peterson is our guest, pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and departmental editor of Godestine's The Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. Stay tuned. We know that you want to build your family on the right foundation from the very start, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Concordia Publishing House offers more than 8,000 products for churches, schools, and homes, dedicated customer service, and an experienced staff to help you focus on what matters most. Click to connect at cph.org. Concordia Publishing House, listening, responding, providing for God's people. Concordia Publishing House, cph.org. Hey, Todd. What have our listeners noticed first when visiting the LPR studios? Definitely the small size and the dirt. Well, not anymore. Thanks to our friends at the Cleaning Authority. They've turned this man cave into a space that meets even our wives' approval. Whether it's our office or your home, the Cleaning Authority is your cleaning service provider in the St. Louis area. To schedule a free estimate or to find out more, visit thecleaningauthority.com. Thecleaningauthority.com. At Risen Christ Lutheran Church in Arvada, Colorado, we have simply become captivated by the hilarious notion that God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save the losers of this world, losers just like us. We proclaim the biblical notion that God saves sinners. Embracing the historic liturgy of the church, we confess that we are just that, sinners. Visit us online at risenchristlutheran.org. LCMS Disaster Response provides guidance and assistance to congregations who seek to proclaim the gospel and show mercy in the wake of disasters. We can bring capacity to your congregation through on-site assessment, volunteer training and congregation preparedness, and through grants direct to your congregation. For more information, follow us on Facebook, keyword LCMS Disaster Response, or visit our website at lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster. The cross is our theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Come and experience firsthand by sitting down in classes and actually hearing professors. Coming to chapel, which is always the high point of the day, to hear the Word of God and to lift our voices in song. Issues Etc. regular guest Dr. Paul Grimm on why you should consider visiting Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. 
spend time talking to professors. I mean, there's not a professor here who will not be willing to, to take time, whether it's after chapel during the coffee hour or just to come into one's study and, and sit down and talk for a while to answer questions, to you know, help them to get a sense of, A, you know, do they want to be a pastor or a deaconess? And then B, is this the right place? And well, maybe C would be the question, is now the right time for them to make that decision? If you've contemplated the vocation of pastor or deaconess, contact Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, 1-800-481-2155, 800-481-2155, or send an email to admission at ctsfw.edu. The hymn from Deaths of Woe, I Cry to Thee, the fourth stanza. We're looking forward to Ash Wednesday with Pastor David Peterson. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. In the second hour of the program, we're going to be responding to the evangelical cliche, the church must transform culture. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller will be our guest. And we'll get a roundup of what happened last night at the Iowa caucuses. Mark and Molly Hemingway, Mark from the Weekly Standard and Molly, senior editor of The Federalist. That's an hour two of Issues Etc. Brings us to our collect here, David, which reflects beautifully the psalm and the gradual that we just heard. It does. Let's hear it. Almighty and everlasting God, who hates nothing that you have made and forgives the sins of all who are penitent, create and make in us new and contrite hearts that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of you, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness. Uh, it, it is. It, it, it picks up exactly the language from the antiphon, and then in the body picks up uh, Psalm 51. The psalm, the collect, incidentally, comes to us from Cranmer in the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, the Latin collect is something about fasting that's not very great. Uh, this is really a great collect, and some of uh, your listeners probably remember when it was prayed every Sunday after in Lent, after the main collect, or every day in Lent. That's also an Anglican custom, and it was in the rubric in the Lutheran hymnal from 1941, used in the Missouri Synod until recently, really. But it was kind of dropped in our rubrics in 81 when Lutheran worship was, was published, and then it wasn't picked back up again in the latest hymnal, LSB, from uh, 2006. But it's worth considering, I think, uh, as a custom to, to pray this collect every day, either in your home devotions or uh, in the church after the collect of the day, because it doesn't only match perfectly with Ash Wednesday, which of course it does, but it really, it also really beautifully describes what a Christian desires in Lent. Not, of course, that he would make himself acceptable to God through his own sacrifices, but rather that the Father in the Spirit would make him truly repentant by the sacrifice of the Son. I mean, this is the difference between going to hell and going to heaven. If you're going to make yourself worthy of God by your sacrifices, by giving up something for Lent, you are not going to make it. 
But if God makes you truly penitent, then, of course, by the sacrifice of his son, he actually gives you faith, then you're going to make it. There's a promise. So what we pray is, create and make in us new and contrite hearts that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of you the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness. So it's really fitting for the whole season. The Old Testament reading is, Joel, I mean, this has struck me from the time of my youth as one of the most memorable, powerful passages from the Old Testament. It is, and uh, I bet a lot of our preachers preach on it for that reason. It's hard to resist. It reads, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Let's just stop there for a minute. God never commands us to put on ashes. That's a human ceremony. But what he does command, demand that we do, is return to him, literally repent toward him with all of our heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. That we are to rend our hearts and not our garments means, of course, that our repentance is to be genuine, not a show for others. And then notice this, because this is so essential to Christianity. We don't repent because we're so bad and because we don't deserve God's love. But rather, we repent in in Joel. We repent because God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I mean, that is explicit in the text. Yeah, I mean, of course we are bad, and we should be ashamed of our sins. We, We should. But that isn't what drives us to God. And in fact, we don't ever get driven to God. Nothing drives us to God. Rather, God is driven to us by his love. He comes seeking us where we are. Again, that's Adam in the garden, but that's also the whole sacramental theology of the Bible, that God is driven to us to seek us out, to find us, to be present for us, so that he could have us again, that he would reconcile himself to us, and we would be his people. And then uh, the reading goes on that we should blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. And again, notice what this calls us to, not to quiet contemplation in our closets, not to saving the earth or the dolphins or even serving our neighbor, though that's obviously legit, but rather what this calls us to is to gathering for worship to come to the place where God promises to be for us. And then, I'm skipping some verses here, but then we have this beautiful thing that we read, Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage or reproach a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Now, our pastors are not, ap- are ap- they are apostolic, they're not Levitical, But nonetheless, this charge to the priests there applies to our pastors, that they are actually to pray for the people, and they are to stir God up for the cause of the people. Our ordination rites do not ask very much of the men who become our pastors. I mean, it's shocking in a sense how kind of slim they are. What it asks is that, first of all, have they been rightly called? They say yes. And with, uh, I can't remember exactly, but yes, basically. Then it asks if they accept and swear to teach according to the Bible and the creeds and the Lutheran confessions, and they say yes. Then it asks if they're going to conduct themselves and carry out their duties in accordance with the Bible and the confessions, and they say yes. And then finally it kind of gets to their duties. 
And it says, uh, will they catechize the young and the old? Will they forgive the sins of the penitent and not divulge sins confessed to them? Will they faithfully minister to the sick and the dying and live a holy life while admonishing the people to also live a holy life? Uh, So they get asked that, and the minister says, yes, I will with the help of God. And then that question about holy living is asked again. And then they're asked, the pastor's asked, if he will be diligent in his study of the Bible and confessions. That's new in the LSB rite, and very, very nicely so. And then they're asked finally, as the, as the ultimate thing, uh, I lost my place in my text here, where is it? Oh, will you be constant in prayer for those under your pastoral care? That's the very last question. So of all the stuff they're supposed to do, the very thing is, will you be constant in prayer for your people? And the pastor says, I will, the Lord helping me through the power and grace of his Holy Spirit. I think this is really striking, and I think it fits this Joel 2 thing very well, that praying for the people, as described in in, in Joel 2, is a serious and prioritized duty of the ministry. And it ought to take a good deal of the minister's time. It should not be a throwaway task that can be skipped when he's busy. Now, in fairness, I do believe that the people also have an obligation to pray for the pastor. Uh, That's not actually in the right, but I think it should be. It'd be fair to ask the people, will you pray for him? Instead, they ask if they're going to honor and uphold him, if they're going to aid him and so forth, which is good, but there's no explicit mention of prayer. And maybe that is okay, I don't know. The, I mean, because I don't think they're equal. The, the obligation of the people is not as strong as the duty of the pastor to pray for the people. His duty is kind of greater or uh, more central to who he is. And I think that's clear, and it's clear in the right. It's clear in Joel, too. Uh, but, of course, the people are, I mean, we're obligated to pray for each other in the church. When we come back, we're going to look at the epistle, Second Peter chapter 1 for Ash Wednesday, and one of those features of Lent, the tract there from Psalm 103. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. We're looking forward to Ash Wednesday. It's Tuesday, February the 2nd. He's pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Stay tuned. Trinity Orchard Farm is settled between two rivers showing the way to the water of life. For worship that is reverent, relevant, and refreshing like pure water, or for excellent education in a unique setting, check out our church and school. We're just five miles north of Highway 370 on Highway 94 in St. Charles County. Visit us on the web at trinityorchardfarm.com. That's trinityorchardfarm.com. Our phone number is 636-250-3350. Even if your child has mild to moderate autism, learning disabilities, attention difficulties, or other learning challenges, he can receive a classical Christian education. The Simply Classical curriculum was created by Issues Etc. guest Cheryl Swope, an author, educator with a master's degree in special education, and homeschooling mother of twins with special needs. The Simply Classical curriculum has become an answer to prayer for parents and schools. Visit ClassicalSpecialNeeds.com and save $5 with the coupon code LPR. Evangelical and Catholic. You're listening to Issues Etc.
Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by joining the Issues Etc. 300. Messiah Lutheran, Seattle, Washington. Grace Lutheran, McPherson, Kansas. St. Paul's Lutheran, Bridgeport, Nebraska. Our Savior Lutheran, Raleigh, North Carolina. St. Paul Lutheran, Hancock, Maryland. Messiah Lutheran, Keller, Texas. St. John's Lutheran, Maple Grove, Minnesota. Grace Lutheran, Parker, Colorado. And Our Redeemer Lutheran, Harrington, Kansas. Find out how your church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Go to our website, issuesetc.org, and click support. When your congregation joins the Issues Etc. 300, we'll advertise your congregation on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Issuesetc.org. Click support. The Issues Etc. 300. the final stanza of the hymn from Depths of Woe, I Cry to Thee. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Ash Wednesday with Pastor David Peterson. Now, if you've considered the vocation of pastor or deaconess, he was talking about pastors right before the break, check out the Prayerfully Consider Campus Visit at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. You can find out more at ctsfw.edu or give them a call 1-800-481-2155. Prayerfully consider it's March 31st through April the 2nd. A great time to check out those two vocations of pastor or deaconess at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And when you're in town, drop by Redeemer Lutheran Church there in Fort Wayne and visit Pastor David Peterson. Pastor Peterson, uh, right to the epistle, 2 Peter chapter 1, what do we find there? Well, it's a bit of a heavy law section here, and we get uh, a couple of sentences that uh, we're urged here to supplement our faith with virtue, and then a list of virtues we're to have. He writes, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So this epistle embraces and confesses the reality that all penitents desire to be virtuous. They desire to live according to the Ten Commandments. Now, we often emphasize, as we need to, that true repentance includes uh, faith in the gospel, trust that God will forgive our sins, along with contrition, along with sorrow. We need to probably also emphasize that true contrition means to, be, to have sorrow over your sins and also the desire to do better. 
So here's the problem, and kind of as the epistle comes at us in my mind, we, we read or we hear that, that whoever lacks these virtues that are listed is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And we, we all really should be hearing that and be thinking probably, I'm in trouble here. Can I be saved? I want those virtues. I admire those virtues. I'm weary of sin and the pain that it has caused me and my loved ones. I truly do want to do better, but... Right, My track record is pretty horrific. I don't have a very good track record of overcoming sin. I return to my besetting, my favorite pet sins again and again, and I'm afraid that I don't have it in there to, to be what Peter's calling, the Holy Spirit's calling through Peter me to be. And so really beautifully, we get in response to that, as it were, the tract that immediately follows. And we read, it's verses, Psalm 103, verse 10, and then 79, 8, and 9. So right after that epistle reading, kind of harsh law, dangerous law, we read these words, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. O remember not against us our former iniquities. Let thy tender mercy speedily prevent us. That's old King James for come before us or precede us. For we are brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of thy name and deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. I mean, this tract is just marvelous, a glorious answer to those who are feeling the terror of the law. So the law brings us low, but we trust in God, in the God of our salvation, who will help us for the glory of his name. He will deliver us. He will purge away our sins for his name's sake. Now, the word for God in that passage is actually Elohim, not Yahweh. But it's simply impossible for me to see the noun salvation or the verb to save in the Old Testament in Hebrew and not see the name Jesus, because it's this word yesha, which is in the name Jesus, because the name Jesus is jamming together that verb and the noun Yahweh so that it means the Lord saves. So here, especially, even though the word Yah- the name Yahweh is not used in this immediate context, it is used in the psalm uh, earlier, here, when you see the God of our salvation, for the glory of your, thy name, deliver us, purge away our sins for thy name's sake, that, that's a very messianic and uh, comforting response to the, to the epistles' needed admonition to good works. With only about a minute and a half here, what are your thoughts on the hymn of the day, From Depths of Woe I Cry to Thee? Well, this is one of our favorite Luther hymns, uh, hymnic response or paraphrase of Psalm 130. It's a great burial hymn. It's also a great hymn for expressing, again, these Lenten themes. And let's just get to the fifth stanza, because that's where Luther really kind of lets loose uh, and really harmonizes with the theme of the whole season. Though great our sins, yet greater still is God's abundant favor. His hand of mercy never will abandon us nor waver. Our shepherd, good and true is he, who will at last is Israel free from all their sin and sorrow. That's ultimately what Lent's about. We're, we're, Lent is preparation for Easter. Uh, Jesus lives, and that ultimately is what drives us and gives meaning to everything in the church, and of course, everything to us as Christians. Finally, with only about 20 seconds, is Ash Wednesday a sad day? Not at all. It's a somber day, uh, and it's a serious day, but it's not a sad day because, again, Jesus lives, and we know where this is going. Pastor David Peterson is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and departmental editor of God Estates, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. You'll find a link to God Estates at our website issue, etc.org. Click Listen On Demand. David, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure, Todd. Thank you. When we come back in hour two of Issues Etc. Alive this Tuesday afternoon, the 2nd of February, we're going to be responding to an evangelical cliche today. The church must transform 
culture. This is always a tug, isn't it? And, and oddly, especially in evangelical circles, the church has been more transformed by culture than it has been transforming of culture. But let's deal with the cliche as well. Should the church, is it part of the church's job to transform culture? We'll answer that question with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller on the other side of the break. Then both Mark and Molly Hemingway will join us from the Weekly Standard and the Federalist, respectively. We'll be going over what happened last night at the Iowa caucuses with them in the last few minutes of Issues Etc. Hour two of Issues Etc. is straight ahead. Stay tuned. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. God lays out for us in Scripture our need for salvation in the law and the assurance that Jesus has saved us in the gospel. Dr. Carl Fakencher talking about his presentation at this summer's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. That's the way God communicates to us in every page of Scripture, and therefore it's, it's vital that we have been given this gift of history, an understanding of law and gospel, make it a centerpiece in the way we speak law and gospel, the way we speak God's Word to people today. You can meet and hear Dr. Carl Fakencher making the case for law and gospel Friday, June 10th and Saturday, June 11th at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference in Collinsville, Illinois. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. The 2016 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. 